so I would just break up with her. I think, oh, I'm sick of her. I don't want to be with her. And I break up with her and I go and date other women. And after I did that eight times with this poor woman, uh, I was traveling through the US backpacking. And I just said to my friend, oh my God, I want to get back with Leanne. And you should have seen his face. He was like, oh no. Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple, Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Please check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couple Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for over 20 years. You know, everyone says you should work on your relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of. With the partner they fell in love with. On today's episode, we welcome David Wood. David Wood is a former consulting actuary to Fortune 100 companies. He built the world's largest coaching business, becoming number one on Google for life coaching and coaching thousands of hours in 12 countries around the globe. He is an esteemed guest, and we welcome him to the show. Thank you so much, David, for being on our show today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, you know, we want to really delve into a lot of the work that you do, right? You, you have been doing a lot of coaching all over the world, you know, just a lot of places. And, you know, along the way, I'm sure you've learned a lot about relationships. But before we go into that, we'd like to ask you a little bit about yourself. How old are you? And what do you, what do you say you do for a living? And, you know, how long have you been doing this? I'm 52 years old. And what I say I do is I help business owners to double revenue in their time off. What I really do is along the way, we look at relationships, how they're relating with their kids, with their, with their um, partner, with their customers, with their business partner and with themselves. Mm. And they told me when I started coaching back in 1998, that 80% of business coaching was personal coaching. And I guess you could say 80% of business coaching is about relationships, including your relationship with yourself. So I say, yeah, we'll double your revenue and your time off. That's fun. Let's do that. And along the way, get ready to grow as a partner, parent, leader, and human. Yeah, that's really great. We have uh, about 13 people who work for us, as well as really big families and um, neighbors and stuff. And it's really interesting to see how when you interact with people in different places in life, you need these kind of different skills. So I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about that. And you're absolutely right. We, business is nothing without relationship mm -hmm. yeah. or, or life's not fulfilling. Yeah. And I think a lot of my success, you know, a lot of it comes from strategy and hard work and 
being courageous and going for it, even when everyone says, no, it can't happen. But it wasn't until a few years ago, a, point, a friend pointed out that I was excellent at networking. And I didn't think of myself that way. I just thought, you know, I tend to like to be alone and I don't feel like I'm very social, but he's right. I tend to hold on to relationships and I tend to not all the way, all the time, but invest in those relationships. And I think a lot of what I'm able to do comes from who I know. What do you think is, um, you know, the way the world is today and the next generation and, you know, just a little, you know, my brother passed away a couple of days ago. So things are pretty raw and we're watching our family go through this. And our son who's 22 calls and he says, you know, his cousin whose dad passed away, he said, I were like, call him. He's like, what do I say? What do I do? You know, and it's so less organic and natural for that generation to have real conversations as opposed to it, how it was back in the nineties. What have you noticed is changed in the way that we relate through technology and all those kind of things? Well, I'd go further. I'd say even my generation, I'm 52. We didn't know how to communicate. My parents didn't know they weren't taught. So I learned things like hiding my feelings, even for myself. I didn't, no one said, David, what are you feeling right now? I grew up in a strange country town. We didn't, we didn't talk about feelings. And if you had some feelings, you were in trouble. <laughs> so I don't think it's just the new generation. I, I, don't want, I don't want people of my age to think, oh, I get a free pass. We all get a free pass because we know how to do it. But the younger generation doesn't. No, I think most humans a pretty bad at true connection and that's okay that's mm -hmm. okay we we do the best we can and then we listen to podcasts like couple synergy and mm -hmm. and we practice and we learn and we get better and sometimes i believe that our kids generally um learn and surpass the parents i think that's the way it's supposed to so i know kids who are like 18 who are more mature than i was at 30 and they're able to really, really speak. Uh, there are some five-year-olds and six-year-olds who are wise teachers walking around because the parents did all the work and they pass it on. Now, yeah, sure, with, with everything that's happening with video games and, and social media and particularly the pandemic, I think that, that we might be getting more and more isolated as well but that doesn't matter to me, whatever, whatever's going on, whether or not that's happening, if it doesn't happen, we come out of the pandemic. I think we still need to learn some fundamentals. Uh, I, I totally, we totally agree with that. And, you know, I, I like what you said that 80% of coaching is, is really more personal and about relationships than it is about revenue. But I think that specifically for men, you know, revenue grabs our attention. If I can increase my income, I'm going to be happy, right? But when it really comes down to it, it's, it's really helping them become abundant, not just in the bank account, but abundant in life and abundant in their relationships. Yeah, it's about freedom. And that's why if you're watching the video now, you'll see I got some bright orange wings. <laughs> and the wings to me represent freedom and more money is better than less money. And it can definitely take the pressure off. But Ultimately, I, I do think the real rewards, you can have a lot of money and still kill yourself because you're suicidal and just absolutely miserable. And I have met people who got nothing and they're extremely happy. So I think 
let's put attention on making more money. But if that's all you're doing, I think you're selling yourself short because when you are on your deathbed, you're not going to go, man, I'm so glad I made that million. Yeah. You're going to go, I, this is what I hope you'll say. I spoke the truth to people. I showed who I truly am. I told people when I love them and when I appreciated them, when something didn't work for me, I said no to it. This doesn't work for me. When I wanted something, I asked for it. Even if I didn't get it, I still asked for it. That's what I want for every person on the planet. Is that the reason why you went into coaching and you left the corporate world? Well, I didn't know why when I did it. <laughs> now I can look back and, and make up some reasons. I, I, I didn't plan to leave the corporate world forever. I just quit my job and thought, what would I do if I had six months to do anything I want? And I had done a personal growth course called Landmark Education, and they cracked my heart open and they cracked my cynicism because mm -hmm. they all wore name tags and they smiled way too much. And I thought they're just out to get my money. I found out that there are people who devote their life to service. Now, I didn't have the awareness then to say, that's what I want to do. I just thought, I'm going to move countries. I'll quit my job. I'll do whatever I want for six months, and then I'll get back in the corporate world. Well, I never did. I, I quit the job, but I never went back. I went to Australia and started playing guitar and singing in pubs and parties and even on national television because that's what I wanted to do. And then along the way, I met a coach who was actually charging money. He didn't have any clients yet, but he created a business and he was in a coaching program. And I was like, wait a minute. I coached people during my program and I got so hooked on it. Is this something I could, and they trained me in coaching. I said, is this something I could do for a living? I'm going to hire you and I'm going to see how this works and then I'm going to apply it. So that's how I got into it. Looking back, I can see that I love transformation. I love finding where we're afraid and going in there. I love deep connection and being fully revealed and accepted and love for that. And so I think that's why ultimately I am in coaching. Can you share a little bit of your journey? You know, you kind of said that you grew up in a town that didn't talk about feelings and, and then your heart cracked open. Like how did it get closed and did you know it was closed? And what, what is this cracking open journey? Cause that's what we find too. You can't relate to others if you're not relating within yourself. Yeah. Well, I was an Australian boy growing up in a, in a country town and my main occupation at the age of 15, 16, 17, 18 was trying to avoid a fight outside the local pub. It was this very backward town. If you had long hair, you'd be ridiculed. If you were gay, you wouldn't tell anybody about it. And uh, I had a tragedy when I was seven years old, my little sister, uh, we were coming home from school and she was killed by the school bus. And I was there, I, I witnessed it and I'm seven years old and uh, we didn't talk about it. We didn't, no one knew about therapy for kids back then or what you do. And I, they didn't take me to the funeral. So I just grew up uh, what I thought was normal. And then at the age of 23, when I met, uh, no, 18, I met my uh, first girlfriend and fell in love, but I didn't know that's what it was. And I had so much trouble with my sensations and feelings, but I couldn't have even told you that. Yeah. I didn't even have enough awareness to know 
whoa, my chest is constricted and, oh, I feel really awkward and uncomfortable. Um, so I would just break up with her. I think, oh, I'm sick of her. I don't want to be with her. And I break up with her and I go and date other women. And after I did that eight times with this poor woman, uh, I was traveling through the US backpacking and I just said to my friend, oh my God, I want to get back with Leanne. And you should have seen his face. He was like, oh no. And I'm like, yeah, I know I can't, but I want to. So I went to see a psychiatrist for the first time in my life and said, what's going on? I think I love her, but I keep breaking up with her. And when he found out about my history, he said, I don't think you grieved properly. <clears throat> I don't think, he said, this is a hypothesis. I think that you shut down your emotions as a survival mechanism. And there's probably a lot going on that you're not even aware of. And I think I can help you. Well, that was my get out of jail free card. After a few sessions with him, she was willing to come along and meet him. And she's in a relationship now uh, with, at the time. And she came along and she met him and she's like, yeah, he's always seemed like a cardboard cutout. That's who I was and didn't know it. So I really feel for people around the world who may have some element of that and not even be aware of it. He taught me how to cry. He taught me how to grieve. He taught me how to go to my parents and ask them how it was for them. He taught me how to go back through and find some of her belongings and, and, and go through them and talk to my neighbors and like really grieve. So I think that's what cracked me open enough that when I did the personal growth course, I was able to see, oh, wow, there's so much I got no idea about deep vulnerability, emotional intimacy, transparency, communication, revealing all of that. So I've spent the last 25 years catching up mm. on that. And as I learn it, I get to share that with my clients. Which is an amazing journey. <laughs> and there are a lot of people out there that are in need of that. I actually was just talking with Gene's brother, who's in town, you know, for the funeral services and everything. And, and he was talking about that, about how it seems as though people are so disconnected and they're not able to, you know, connect with other people because they're disconnected within themselves. Can you talk a little bit about some of that work that you do and, you know, how do you, you know, if a client comes in, they're looking for, you know, increasing their, their income, but then you start to see some of this disconnect happening. You know, how do you work with a client on that? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh usually people come to me for business stuff because as you said, the, 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 the male or the masculine is often focused on revenue, but also any woman who's in business has usually got some eye on, I want to make money. I want to put food on the table. I need to live. And so, so people come to me for the business stuff and then they discover, Oh, there's, there are all these other things here. And I've got one client right now. She wants to work out her vision. She wants to work out what her business is going to look like and how much she should charge. And, and she was uh, finding she was lost in all of that. And I, and I don't have a, um, a paint by number system. Generally, I just said, you know, it sounds like you don't have a touchstone to work out what matters. What's your mission? What do you, what legacy do you want to leave for the planet? So there's a piece of homework. What are your values? 
What do you really care about? And then what do you want in a job or a consulting contract if you had a, a, a magic wand? And so now she's got some homework to go around and, and work that out. And then she, she had questions like, you know, there's someone I've emailed twice and he hasn't gotten back to me and I don't want to bug him. What should I do? And we got to work on how she gives up. She gets stopped and she doesn't want to be too much. She doesn't want to take up too much space. Uh, something else I noticed is when she speaks, she ends each sentence with, does that make sense? And so I gently brought it up. Like, what do you, why do you think that you say that? And she realized that she was doubting herself and she's got this deep belief that maybe she's asking for too much. So I get excited by, by that kind of thing. So now we're working on her relationship with herself primarily so that she can work out what she wants and what she wants to create. Then she's going to take that information and go out to all the leads she's got and say, all right, let's see what you need. And then I'll go away and I'll come back with a proposal. So there's one example. Uh, and it's always different. People come with all sorts of different things. You can't read the label from inside the jar. <laughs> so when they're speaking and I'm witnessing, I'm often spotting things that they hadn't put together. And that's, mm -hmm. to me, that's coaching in a nutshell. You know, one of the things that you said is, um, you know, that your, your grief journey got paused. And that's the way we look at life as well, that it's, it's not a brokenness or a pathology, it is developmental. And at any moment, you can go back and water that area of your life and start that growth process. And I love what you just said about, you know, you can't read the label from the inside of the jar. And we need that reflection from another person in order to see ourselves. It's really amazing how distorted it is on the inside if we're not sharing that and, and getting that reflection. And, you know, I think that's what the coaching model is all about is having someone to walk beside you and, and say, hey, did you notice this? And it's just amazing how unaware we are. So it, it, the idea of we only know what we know yep. and we almost stumble into a growth process because someone else gives us a nudge. And so we don't always know we're stuck. We usually know we're in some kind of pain Yeah. and it becomes normal yeah. instead of like an obvious thing that we should do something about. Yeah. I, my one thing that works really well is going and doing a, uh, a course that your friends rave about. So going and doing landmark education is a great way to help someone else, help, help find out what's on the label because we can't read it from inside. Another way is to work with a coach. Say, hey, here are the things that I think I want and here are the things that I think are getting in the way and I want to know more. I was just sitting with my men's group last night uh, it's a, it's a group of peers and we meet every two weeks. And I said something I've never said before when it was my turn. I said, I think part of me doesn't want direct feedback because I'm worried I'm not going to like it. And it's quite subconscious, but you guys have such skill and such awareness. I want you to call me out on anything you see. If it's a way I'm holding my body, if I'm speaking, but I don't feel connected to it or passionate about it or, or whatever you see in the kindest possible way, please give me that feedback. That was a major thing for me to say. And I felt scared saying it because I thought they might say something that my ego is trying to avoid. 
Um, but if we can get to that point, like, yeah, I do want feedback. I do want to know what I'm doing. I don't want to wait 20 years to find out. Here's one thing I discovered in relationship is I can be very intimidating. I'm a strong personality and I'm very intelligent. So when it comes to an argument, I'm not the easiest person to debate and hold your ground with. It took me a long time to find out that information. And my dad was one of the people who indirectly gave me that information. We were camping and I was crying and he kept trying to fix me and change me. And I said, dad, I just want to know that it's okay for me to feel like this. And he could not get it. And finally, I gave him an example. And he said, well, I've never, ever known what to say to you. You're too smart for me. This is my father. He said, you've always been too smart. And I've never known exactly what to say. Oh, it was amazing. Such a beautiful moment. So I got humbled. I was like, wow, here's me trying to be myself in the world and to take up space and set boundaries and ask for what I want. I didn't even realize it might be hard for someone else to say no or give me feedback. So that's, there's an example of something that, um, that I found that's been useful. You know, in, in our experience, or we have seen people struggle with that for 20 years and they just keep shoving it in the closet because it's too painful or overwhelming to really look at. And a lot of times when we're asking them to open that closet, they just take a look at it and shut the door and they, they just wanna keep going along with their life the way they've been going on. But they see the ramifications of that over time. Yeah, you know? I, I feel frustrated and a bit sad at, at the model that most of us are using because I learned to just withhold what was going on and then didn't even know that's what I was doing. So as I've done more and more courses and gotten coached so much myself and I coach my clients, I step outside the comfort zone as often as I, as I can. And that might be sharing a feeling with someone. And I know that they might get upset hearing that, that like one friend, she tends to cancel a lot. She's going through a really hard time and she never knows how she's going to feel on the day. So I know the deal. I know that going in and I'm finding it frustrating and I'm feeling less inclined to want to book something with her. Now, if I share that, I understand she might have a reaction to that. She might feel really defensive. She might feel, you know, cause she, she's got a lot of judgments on herself. So um, I, I uh, delay saying it. And then another week goes by, then another week goes by. So that's the model. Let's not do it. We're going to upset that person. Let's not say that I might be upset myself. Let's not say that because this person might not invite me to their party next time. If I tell them that when, whenever they throw a cigarette butt on the ground, I cringe inside. So I understand why we do it. I've just found as I have taken on a practice of telling on myself and telling, uh, sharing, this is what's going on. Oh, I noticed that I I'm, I'm attracted to you and I don't want to ask you out in case I blow the friendship we have already, whatever it is. 
the more I do it, the better I feel about myself. Maybe not in that moment. It might be an awkward conversation, but I feel so much freer in myself. And then nine times out of 10, I find there's a positive result in the interaction. Maybe the other person says, oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, thinking about that for three years or, or wow, you know, I think I've, I've been a bit upset too. Yeah, let's talk about that. And then we get closer. So I'm a raving advocate for transparency, especially when you might lose something. This concept of transparency, I, I understand that this is part of a book that you're working on currently. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the book's called Name That Mouse because the elephant is not the only animal in the room. That's we don't great. know about the elephant in the room. You see it. I see it. No one's saying anything. It's weird. It's awkward. But so many creatures in the room are much more subtle. They might be as small as a mouse. Maybe let's say I was five minutes late to this podcast and I didn't say anything. I might be thinking, are they annoyed that I'm late? Do they feel disrespected? Um, did they even notice it? Do they care? Th these are all mice. And if I don't name it, it still, it could, it'll stay with me. And then it keeps me a bit disconnected. Whereas if I bring it up, say, hey, I apologize. I noticed I'm five minutes late. I'm sorry to keep you waiting. I'm feeling embarrassed by that. And I'd like to check for impact. Like, how is that for you? Now, at least we can address it. I can find out and give you, you a chance to speak about whatever. And then we can come onto the same page. And that, that was a minor example. I want to give a minor example and then a massive example. So the minor example is something like I'm a little bit late. Maybe you may, it may not even be a thing for you. I don't know. I'm just going to name a mouse so that I can be more present and um, we can be more connected. An extreme one comes from when I was about 20 years old. And uh, so I had my first girlfriend. This is the girlfriend that I'd, I'd broken up with a number of times and um, in what I think in one of those times I did something that I wish I could take back and as you know it's you can't take back something once you've done it uh, at the age of 20 I was an idiot and cheated on her got drunk at a party had sex with someone else never happened before never had the experience and I woke up feeling it was maybe one of the worst feelings I've had in the world and I had a choice point. I could try not to tell her and just commit to not doing it again. I could continue to be an asshole and, and cheat. I could um, confess and try and make it right, try and repair the relationship. And I chose to name a pretty damn big mouse. Now, I won't call it an elephant in the room because she, does, she doesn't know about it. But it's definitely an elephant for me. And so I told her, I said, this is what I did. I am so sorry. What can I do to make this right? Now she, now I can imagine a lot of people would say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to confess because I'm not willing to risk my relationship. I might lose the kids in the divorce. Like who knows what could happen? I might get hit. Um, there are lots of reasons to not do it, but I'm not willing to be in an intimate relationship with someone who doesn't have all the information about me. Mm. I'm not, because if I am, it's no longer an intimate relationship. Now she broke up with me as she should, 
And I had to earn her trust back over time to the point where she was willing to give me another shot. And we did end up getting married and um, moved to New York together. And uh, we weren't married for very long, but I'm very proud of telling her the truth. I'm proud of repairing our relationship after the breakup and what we both did and how we showed up to come back to love. And that was about 25 years ago that we broke up. Next week, I'm flying to New York and I'm going to stay with her and her new husband and her six-year-old boy who calls me Uncle David. Wow. So I, I'm not an expert in being married for 40 years, but I'm very proud of transparency and being real so that the people around me get to be at choice whether mm -hmm. or not they want to be in relationship with me. That is really powerful. You know, we get to see that you know, it, with couples and their intimate relationships. And one of the things we say is that having a relationship with a committed partner is the most challenging, most rewarding thing you will ever do in your life. And it's because of all these opportunities that these mice in our house give us. You know? And couples ha are always challenged with that and being transparent with themselves, you know, and letting the partner know what they're feeling, what they're thinking. You know, otherwise what happens is that distance grows and resentment fills in the gaps. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it looks to the mind like, oh, I'll keep this quiet and life will be better. That's why we would stay quiet. Mm -hmm. But the mind doesn't often can't look ahead and realize, well, I'm going to be more contracted. This is something that will be with me forever. And uh, I'm more of a rip the bandaid off guy. I don't want to suffer slowly over time. If my partner is going to leave me because of something I did, I want to know it now. I want them to make that choice. And if they decide to stay with me, okay, we'll presumably be closer. So, so I understand why we would think, I'll oh, keep it small. The point of this book is I want the world to have new language because we know we have the elephant as a metaphor I haven't found anything that really speaks to the subtle things that, that we're noticing and feeling and experiencing and then sharing that. So I want everyone, I want kids, I want adults uh, saying, can I name a mouse with you? <laughs> and, and ideally the other person knows what they mean. And if they don't, you can say, it's like an elephant in the room, but much smaller. I just want to name it so I can feel closer to you or, or let it go and move on. And I want everyone practicing that and have a new language in our society. It's really amazing how when we hold stuff in, it gets so distorted. And you see people who haven't had, I, well, I haven't talked to that person in six months or six years. And it's like, well, what, what happened? I don't remember. <laughs> like they can barely remember what the slight was, but they're so walled up. And, you know, anything, I, I believe anything we say out loud can be processed and worked through no matter what it is and it's the stuff we hold inside that it, it, it becomes our demons no matter what that in their imaginary a lot of times you have the conversation it's not even real what you're thinking yeah i i i'm liking you more and more gene that <laughs> um it's so powerful what you said we distorted one of my teachers said the mind doesn't have one billionth of the information it needs to make the right decision we don't know what's, what's going to happen and all the different variables or whatever. 
so simpler to tell the truth and let the universe work it out. And you're right. If we keep it in, we tend to distort it. We're in our own world. I, you know, when I was younger, I did something uh, as a teenager that was illegal and as I got older, I started feeling really guilty and really upset about what I'd done because as an adult, it looked like a horrible thing to do. And so um, it took me years, years uh, to track down the person and confess, say, this is what I did. It was me and I want to apologize and I want to make it right. Now, in my mind, for 10 years, 20 years, I was looking at prison. And I even talked to a lawyer and he said, yeah, you could be prosecuted. You could go to, even though you're a teenager, you could still be prosecuted. And so I was terrified and I, and I blew. So there was some reality to the fact that I needed to be cautious, but also I just blew up the worst possible scenarios in my head. When I finally got on the phone with this person, they said, oh, well, there's, there's zero impact at all. You know, that wasn't a big deal. And, and I'm, my life's good. I'm totally fine. So thanks for calling. Wow. It's 20 years that I was holding that and carrying that. And so many times you bring it up with someone and then they're like, oh, yeah, that's fine. You know, that's not a big deal. Or, yeah, I'm upset and I'll get over that. Or they yell at you. And then, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, maybe a month later, maybe two years later, they do deal with it. They do get over it. And now we're good. It sounds like a, a mouse that grows into an elephant over time. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, the, the metaphor I've been using is that they breed. Oh, they definitely yeah. breed and you get more and more and more mice. But you're right. They do grow in size. Oh, rodents of unusual size. Oh, that's oh, really yeah. good. There you go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Copyrighted, but that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, they grow into a, into a rodent of unusual size. <laughs> Anyone who hasn't uh, doesn't understand that reference, you're not truly living. You need to go and watch The Princess Bride. Yes, yes. <laughs> and we're probably dating ourselves by mentioning that movie anyway. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, you know, I, I read somewhere that you had, uh, in, you had experienced an accident. And I was wondering if you might be able to kind of talk about that experience and maybe what you learned from it. Yeah. I had a collapse of my paraglider in Colombia. Um, earlier, like a year or two earlier, I'd had a full collapse, 300 feet above the earth, plummeting towards the earth. And I managed to recover from that one and walked away from it. This other one, I was much closer to the ground and had a partial collapse and I fell 10 to 15 feet under my butt. And so I fractured my spine you know, one thing I really got from that experience was it's not what happens to you that gives you your experience. It's how you respond to it. So people are surprised when I say I had a wonderful day. Now, the first, you know, the, the initial collapse and the plummeting, that was terrifying. No words for that. The next 10 seconds after that were screaming. I was in a lot of pain. But straight after that, I'd already experienced an accident quite like this earlier from another adventure sport I'd been doing. And I could wiggle my toes and I knew, and I'd fallen under my butt before. So I knew what was happening. And I said, oh, I'm okay. I know what this is. And then 
all these guys are running up to me speaking in rapid Spanish and they're telling me what to do. They're telling me, don't talk, don't talk. And I'm like, I want to talk, damn it. Don't tell me not to talk. So I, you know, I spoke up for myself. I advocated and I said, um, necesito que hablar. I need to, to speak. So in broken Spanish, I'm, I'm talking to them. And I, I, I has still had my GoPro going. I set it so that I could film the whole thing for posterity. Uh, I'm in quite a lot of pain, but it wasn't agony. And then I had to wait for an hour for the ambulance. So I'm on a stretcher, but they put me in the shade, left me alone. I'm making videos. And then they put me in the ambulance. And the worst thing going on for me is I couldn't pee. And I, I'd been flying for two hours and I really needed to pee. And then I was waiting for an hour for the ambulance. And I'm worried about a busted bladder. That was the worst thing. But every single person that came uh, to me in the hospital, I'd tell them, I have to pee in Spanish until finally someone got, oh, wait a minute, he hasn't peed yet. And they were so nice to me. And I had such a good time. And then my girlfriend I was dating came and picked me up. And, you know, we I hobbled to the... I managed to walk. I walked, I got to the wheelchair and then I got from the wheelchair to the cab and I had a wonderful day. In Grey's Anatomy, there's a great line where she says, sometimes the best thing about falling is it gives your friends a chance to catch you. Hmm. And that's what happened. Now, my roommate recently totaled his car, broke his arm, broke his dog's leg, and then an hour later, his girlfriend totaled her car. Oh. And he said that was possibly the worst day of his life. And I'm, I'm seeing it from outside, right? I'm outside the jar. And I'm like, well, you broke your arm. That'll heal. You broke your dog's leg. That'll heal. You lost a lot of money, but you've got enough money to buy another car. And I, I could see a different perspective, like, wow, if that's the worst day of your life, life's been pretty good from my side. But I can totally see that when you're in it, it's how you're relating to it. If you're relating it to it like this is horrible, this is a disaster, then that, that'll be your experience. If you're like, well, what, what's good here? What can I look at? What's, you know, how can I welcome this? And I think that this tool of welcoming is a wonderful practice for enjoying life, uh, particularly when it comes at you in a way you didn't want it. And it's a great practice in relationship. All right, my partner's angry with me. Can I welcome this? If you don't welcome it, you're going to fight it, you're going to resist it, and that blows up. If you can welcome it, like, wait a minute, let me take a breath. You know, because I just noticed I contracted. I feel like I'm in trouble. So let me just take a breath so I can be with you. Okay. Sounds like you're angry. Give it to me. Tell me everything you got. Right? I might need that step to switch from fight or flight into, okay, bring it. But there's a world of difference in that shift. You know, I had a, a similar experience. I had a near-death experience in college where, you know, I saw all of the people that I have interacted with my entire life, you know, in a flash. And I learned very much at that time how important our relationships are and how important it is to welcome it, right? To welcome whatever it is people are bringing into our lives because 
it is an opportunity to learn from that. It's an opportunity to grow. Whether it feels bad in the moment or not, change is always good, inevitably. I so think, I love hearing that. Yeah, I think this is one of, if not the most fundamental spiritual practices. And you know, the Buddhists, I'm sure they talk about it. Um, many religions, I'm sure they've got their angle on it. Um, I said to a friend once, but wait a minute. What if it's something I really don't want? I don't want to welcome cancer. I don't want to welcome um, someone yelling at me when I want to set a boundary. And the answer was something like, in the moment when it's happening, you have it's already happening. You can either wish that it didn't happen, which means you lose because it's too late, or you can um, adjust your energy towards it. And the example he gave is someone shows up on your property. You got a farm, show up on your property. There are signs saying no trespasses. And yet here they are at your door. He's like, how do you treat that visitor? You can get mad and angry and yell and scare him off the property. Or you can meet them at the door with a shotgun and say, welcome. <laughs> looks like you might, looks like you might be lost. Welcome. Is there something I can do for you? I'm not really taking visitors today. Or, hey, I'm just not available for a conversation. But there's the energy of how you treat it shifts everything. I like the story that you shared because, first of all, you fell 300 feet. And then you got up and did it again. <laughs> and that's what life continues to ask of us. It, it's not one and done. It's, you know, you get knocked down, you stand back up, you get knocked down, you stand back up. And each time you do that, there's a depth that opens up inside of you that you understand more. You find out what you're made of. You know, maybe that's some of the shadow stuff people talk about. Like, I don't know how I would respond if I broke my back. Well, you know it, the answer to that. And for some people, I think they wait until life happens to them. And some people, you know, jump off cliffs it's, <laughs> and make those experiences happen. And I, I think that everything you're saying, especially about how do you take responsibility for how you respond, not necessarily for what's happened, but how you respond, which is the difference of everything. Yeah. And it's really hard to be around people who can't get to that beyond the victimization piece yeah that's that's true the more work i do i find it harder and harder to be around victim mentality now of course you know my friends are going to drop into victim from time to time and i drop into victim often um but my friends are usually pretty quick to come out of it it's i have one old friend from 20 30 years ago that i still stay in touch with and it's just hard for me it's hard to hear this is wrong, this is wrong, and they're against me, and there's this plot, and this, uh, whatever. Uh, I bet it's harder for her. Mm -hmm. But I, I tend to gravitate towards the, and this is my point, I gravitate towards the people who practice welcoming. Doesn't mean they're doormats. They might have the strongest boundaries of anyone, and they might really name their desires and name their tolerations, and like, hey, I'm a note of that. But I've got one friend, um, I'll name him. His name's Ezra Firestone. And he is an enjoyment machine. He can have stuff that experiences that make your hair curl. Cool. 
And when he tells the story, he'll be talking about the ride. It's like, wow, man. And this was really an intense experience. And then this happened such a cool story. And then this happened and that was wild. It's a whole different thing. Like my same friend, Deka Kunov, who, uh, talked about the, the dude with a shotgun right on the property. He talked about an example of soldiers in a foxhole. You can be shaking and shivering and, and, and uh, be at the mercy of everything. Or you can be like, yeah, we're getting our asses kicked. All right. What are we going to do? And I love that. I just love that. All right. I'm getting my ass kicked today. It's totally getting stomped, man. And I've had better days. Um, what am I going to do about it? And is there something I can enjoy? I had one, one friend who said, I said, I'm going to enjoy everything today. That's my commitment. She said, well, that's a bold move. If you can do that, I salute you. And if that's too hard, and she was onto something because, yeah, there's no way I was actually going to welcome every single thing that happened that day. She said, if that's too hard, just pick one thing about what's happening that you like. It might be, I like the color of this carpet right now, or I like that you just gave me a kind word, or I like that we're having this conversation, even though I find it really hard. Just pick one thing that you like, and then you might pick a second thing. And she said it can snowball from there. I, I like that. I think it's, it sounds kind of like the difference between claiming your power or giving your power away. And if we know that feeling of powerlessness, it's a very uncomfortable one. And so when we see someone in powerlessness or accepting that within themselves, we, we want to distance ourselves from them because it's just, it doesn't feel good within ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, where can someone pick up this book or when? Can someone pick up? I'm glad you asked. We're launching the Kickstarter campaign. So what I decided, because with my last book, I put like so much work into it without engaging with the world. And this one, we're doing something different. We're doing a Kickstarter campaign. We've already written a trailer for the book, which is a 15, 20 page PDF with beautiful illustrations of different, the different, the six different kinds of mice that you'll want to name. And if we raise just $1,500, that's it. That's our test to the universe. We just raised $1,500 with a Kickstarter campaign. We'll write the full book. And if we don't, we'll say, hey, maybe the world doesn't love this as much as we do. Um, so I, I have a URL, uh, if it's okay, where people can go and, and join the Kickstarter campaign. There's a, uh, we'll name that mouse.com. You got to name that mouse.com. We're launching the Kickstarter. So this is time sensitive. Uh, June 15, 2021, this year. Uh, and it's just for 30 days. So if you happen to catch this podcast in that time, you can be part of the Kickstarter campaign. You can get the trailer. You know, give us $3. We'll give you the trailer. And it's an amazing little, little mini book. And if you get hear this after the Kickstarter campaign, then uh, you can still go and, you know, go to that link and get the trailer and uh, you might even be able to buy the full book. Well, we'll definitely put the URL in the show notes so people can check it out. And I, I think this will come out before or during that, that period of time. So it'll be perfect. great. That's, that's great. I'm very excited. I think this will change the world. And I want to, I want to see if the world agrees um, before we, you know, really put more of our heart and soul into expanding the book. I'm happy with a 15 page mini book. It's, pretty awesome 
but there's more, there's more that we can do more tools. And if you get stuck in this situation and then here's some exact language, language you can use, I want to get to, to that stuff too. And I want name that mouse for kids to come out. So that's next. You know, once we've done this book, I want to do name that mouse for kids and try and get it into the, not try and get it. I want to get it into the curriculum for schools so that kids can be walking around saying, can I name a mouse with you? That's my vision. You know, there's a, a book called Power Versus Force, and it talks about the frequency of our emotion. And, you know, there's neutral and below neutral are all the things like guilt and shame and fear. And, and above that is like willingness and acceptance. And as human beings, we entrain to each other's emotions. And it says in there, it just takes like one person at willingness can shine light for anyone that's lower than that to raise them up. And it really seems like that's the work that you're doing is, you know, encouraging people to, you know, be in the foxhole and say, all right, we're getting our butts kicked, but let's, let's give it all we got or yeah, in the corner. So that's really awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I have one client who came to me for business coaching and then life happens. She got diagnosed with cancer. So I did a session with her and her partner and the metaphor that came to me, because I'm, I'm intuitive in my coaching and I never know what's going to come out of my mouth. And the metaphor that came to me was this picture of a mouse in a field and the hawk is swooping down on the mouse and the mouse is there giving it the finger. <laughs> right as the hawk comes right and the mouse is like, you know, the defiant. And so I said to her, are you the hawk or are you the mouse? Like, which one are you? And given that you, that your life expectancy is less certain than it was yesterday when you didn't have the diagnosis, what do you want to do with that information? What, I mean, sure, there'll be some crying, there'll be some grieving, there'll be some fear and all of that. I want you to do all of that. And what are you going to do with the time that you do have? And so she, I, it seemed to have such a big impact. She's like, wow. All right. I said, what I, the exact words I said were, what game are you going to play now? And she wrote to me maybe a month or two after that and said, this diagnosis is the best thing that ever happened to me. Wow. Yeah. That is a huge shift. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You know, people have been sharing stories since the beginning of time to bond and heal and grow. And we hope about you sharing some of your story. It's enriched your life and the lives of our listeners. Great to meet you guys. Thank you so much for being on the show, David. My we pleasure. want to wholeheartedly thank you for joining us today and, and for listening to Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact with couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couples Weekend Intensive, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And don't forget to click on the link and check out this book. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded 
edited and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.